As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to The Phil Hay Show. That's brought to you by The Athletic with The Square Ball. I'm Dan from The Square Ball. Michael's with me from The Square Ball. And from The Athletic, we've got Phil Hay as well. And you can subscribe to The Athletic right now to read everything Phil's written about Leeds, all the stuff that's on the site, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months. Uh, we're going to get into some of the stuff that's on there as well, aren't we? In particular, there's a an article on Calvin Phillips, Phil, that we're going to um, get into the weeds a little bit about in part two of the show today. There is, yes. Big read on what's coming for Phillips this summer, what might change, and more to the point whether all the chat in Manchester about Manchester United being interested in him, um, of which there is plenty, whether any of that has legs and whether he, in his wisdom, would ever seriously consider it. In his wisdom. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to take advantage of that. We will get into Phillips in part two. First part one is where we digest the last week, the football and the Palace away game. An ugly draw, a point on the board, nil-nil. How was it for you? I don't think this season is going to make us love it before the end, is it? I, I might be wrong. We, we might be heading for some glorious results against City and Arsenal and Chelsea. It was a point. And for what it's worth, the table is so tight at the bottom between Everton, Burnley and Leeds. I know there is a, a gap there, but there are games in hand still at play as well. It's so tight that I think individual points here and there could make a pretty significant difference. And it is a fifth game unbeaten. 11 points from those five games. I was sort of thinking before the match about how, despite that form, Leeds just don't seem to be able to get any space to breathe. Every time you think that the season's done, it, it kind of reels them back in. But on the flip side, you can't help thinking about where they'd, they'd be had that form not kicked in after Aston Villa. You know, if had it not been for this streak of, of results, they'd be in seriously deep trouble um, in the way that, that Watford and Norwich are. There was not an awful lot to write home about from the performance itself, apart from the fact that it was another clean sheet. And I I think the one thing that you can say for this team is that they have tightened up defensively and that the concessions that for a lot of this season you felt were always coming haven't materialised in the last two games, didn't materialise at at Selhurst Park. I thought if either team deserved to win the game, it was quite clearly Palace, without Palace being massively impressive. And we we sort of predicted beforehand that it might be fairly low-key, it might be a little bit flat. It was quite feisty, actually, being there and, and in the mix. There was there was a bit of an edge to the game. Plenty of fouls, plenty of bookings and all of that. 
but it was not a classic. Um, having said that, I don't think anybody's really looking for classics at this time of the season, are they? On the fouls, because we've given our biased opinions and Palace fans have given their biased opinions as an almost neutral. What did you make of, I guess, particularly the fouls given against Zaha? Oh, I, I wondered if you were going to mention him. I, I thought it was a mixed bag, quite honestly. I thought there were plenty of fouls that were fouls. I thought there were plenty of fouls that weren't really. I thought it was quite a difficult game to referee because the, the, there was a lot of contact. There were a lot of incidents. There were a lot of incidents that were quite hard to read in, in real time. I can't really think of a Palace game I've ever watched where at the end there hasn't been some complaining about Zaha. It's quite funny. There is somebody on Twitter who updates regularly this massive thread of tweets about people basically saying Zaha only ever plays well against us. Zaha always dives against us. He always does, does this, that and the other. He is a, a focal point for that. It was a scrappy game all in all. And I think the fouls and, and everything else contributed to that. I think when it comes to teams play acting or whatever else, I think we've seen far worse examples um, than we, we did on Monday night. I thought that the worst game this season for stoppages and delays was by a mile Newcastle at home in January. There hasn't really been anything quite on, on that scale. But it seemed to me upon after about 20 minutes that by the time we got to the end of the game, there was going to be plenty of complaining from both sides about who'd been up to what. I don't think it's necessarily the slightly industrial stuff going on or you know the dark arts, as you might refer to them. I think it's more the fact that there are people on the other side of the fence from where we're sitting who are denying that this goes on. Like you say, somebody constantly def- defending Zaha. It's quite difficult, isn't it, when you can see what he does? Because a lot of players do it. P- players on the Leeds team do it. We've discussed it like ad infinitum this well, week. If we play devil's advocate and talk about the ailing flop... Yeah, but, um, but we laugh at it, Phil. Yeah, we we course, own it. We accept. Of course we do. And... Um, but it's, there's quite a lot of affection for the ailing flop. For me, as much as anybody else, I mean, I tweeted during the Southampton game saying that the, the flop that he did in front of Hassan Hotel with about four Southampton players around him and no prospect at all of keeping the ball was an absolute beauty. I mean, it was just a, a classic of the genre. And it is amusing and it is funny. It's easier to be amused by it because it's in your favour. And actually, I think there are situations where Ealing is very clever in what he does and, and helps Leeds by buying time and, and, and buying free kicks. It goes on constantly. And I don't know, I, I, I more and more feel with officiating that VAR is where you can kind of apply your frustration because that should, to not it shouldn't be perfect because it's never going to be perfect, but that's where you, you should be able to eradicate the sort of obvious errors and the, and the clear mistakes. I think so much of football is open to interpretation. The game seems to get quicker and quicker and, and probably in that respect harder to referee I feel as if every single game can get bogged down in you know they did this they did that they should have been punished for this they should have been penalised for that generally speaking it's probably fair to say that the, the big decisions on Monday were just about right and it didn't really feel like there were many of those anyway Our mate Moscow has written a good thing on the website on Thursday it was published about how it's all got so serious and how the Premier League kind of amplifies all these discussions because I find it really boring I just I just find it dead funny that People just can't acknowledge that people on their own team might cheat a bit to try and win stuff. Because that's what, you know, it's a competitive sport. People will try and get advantages in whatever way that they can. We see it. It happens, doesn't it? Of course it does. Football is really serious. And I think you can quite often get blinded by immediate reaction after the game in that period where people have the, you know, the ability to vent because you have Twitter and you have other forms of social media other ways of getting irate about things that, that haven't gone right. And and it is a definite trend in games that, irrespective of whether you think certain decisions that go against you are right, 
you can always muddy the waters slightly by arguing about other things in the game that should have gone on and other decisions that weren't given and everything else. I think when all's said and done, if you ever mapped back through 38 games in the Premier League or 46 in the Championship, you probably wouldn't find that many fixtures or that many results which had been massively, massively influenced by refereeing decisions. They always play a part and they do influence games clearly. But Bielsa always said this, and I've always felt this, that you almost never go up, go down, stay in the same division because of referees. There are occasions where it happens and you do have individual games where there are things that are clearly missed. That World Cup qualifier between France and Republic of Ireland, classic example of something that you would you probably just call cheating. But, you know, it's a goal that should have been disallowed quite clearly. And wasn't that was even, the Thierry Henry handball. The handball, not yeah. even open to interpretation that. There is no way you can look at that and say, well, you know, it, to some people, you, you might think that, that that goal should stand, should have been disallowed. But over... 46 games, over 38 games, you finish generally where you deserve to finish. I think Leeds are in the position in the league at the moment where roughly they they deserve to be, give or take a few points either way. I think it seems to me that more and more everybody gets fixated on referees in a way which isn't particularly healthy. Enough referee talk then, let's talk about the Leeds chances. Yes. Right, there we go. Um, (laughs) So was it it a good point then, do you think, in your opinion? Because you said... Um, a little earlier in the show every point counts at this stage so was that a good one? Um, It depends on how you look at it it's a good point given the way the game went because Leeds didn't look like winning it at any stage there was nothing in the way of a game winning chance I didn't think while Dan James was on the pitch there wasn't really anything in the way of a game winning chance after after that was changed and and Greenwood came on the XG for Leeds on the night 0.59 0.59 is the lowest that they've had on the Marsh. It's the sixth lowest of the season. They, they did not play well in, in an attacking sense. And we did ask Marsh afterwards, you know, what was the attacking plan against Palace? What was the plan to, to open them up? And and it was kind of hard for him to, kind of hard for him to answer that because it, it, it felt all night that it, it was a little bit about containment. And I think that as much as anything was to do with the fact that Leeds again, like they, they had at Watford, struggled so badly to keep the foot on the ball. Do you think, um, do you think he set out not to lose that game? Probably, yeah. And we were at his press conference earlier today um, ahead of Manchester City and we'll, we'll speak more about that in part three. He did say in there, because there's been you know, a fair amount of talk about style and, and everything else, and he did say in that, this stage of the season and because of the circumstances, I, have, I am having to think you know, purely about results and far more about results, which in his words, I don't really want to do. And he doesn't mean that he doesn't want results. He means that he doesn't want that to, to override everything, particularly, you know, tactical ideas and, and style of play. But there was very little coming at Palace on Monday. So on that basis, you get to the end of the game. And I think we all would have felt that nil-nil in the circumstances was you're quite happy to take that. I think in in the, the bigger picture and the broader scheme of things, because it's City next and then it's Chelsea and then it's Arsenal, there is that little niggle about whether really a point at Palace is enough. Uh, and... You know, Leeds, I think, had it in their heads when they sacked Bielsa and prior to sacking him that, that 35 points would be enough to stay up. I don't think 35 points is necessarily going to be enough. I feel like they need more than that and therefore they need more than the, the 34 they're on at the moment. And it feels to me like they really do need to find a way of taking something from these three games coming up. Something, anything, a point, maybe a couple of points if at all possible. Well, you remember last season that they hit, um, in very different circumstances, they hit a really difficult run. Six games where they played... City and they play Manchester United and they played Liverpool and they they played Chelsea and they got through all four of those games unbeaten. They took points from Liverpool, City and, and Manchester United. Uh, sorry, Chelsea, Manchester United and of course they won away at the Etihad. 
Now it was different season. It was a different situation. It was a different head coach. It was just a different atmosphere around the club. But it goes to show that that it can be done. And I don't think in any way they can afford to be in the mindset that there's very little likely to come back from these three fixtures. That is the reality. And, and the odds will tell you that. But they do have to find a way of eking out points because, as I say, the, the odd point here and there could make a huge difference. I will correct you as well before somebody on Twitter hops on oh, and does on. it because you said it was Man City and then Chelsea, then Arsenal. It's it's obviously Arsenal before Chelsea, but by the by. That is right. That is correct, yes. Again, it's not as if City have... Marsh said this himself earlier on today. It's not as if City are four or five points clear. So have you know, up their sleeve, the, the ability to be poor one weekend. I, I honestly think if they if, if they have a single draw in, in the games that are left, Liverpool will, will win the title. And then you've got Arsenal who are going for the top four. You've got Chelsea who have the FA Cup final coming up um, after that fixture at Ellen Road. So that none of these teams are coasting and, and none of them will be totally free to make tactical decisions without thinking about other games round about. And again, that, that should give Leeds a bit of an opportunity. But um, they are going to have to play so much better than they did at Palace and I still feel you know better than they did at Watford as well Can we ever talk then about Dan James because you mentioned that uh, just then it was mentioned in the press conference on Thursday his role up front not really working is it? Is it? I wouldn't even just narrow this down to Dan James particularly I, I was thinking about this on Monday night after the game that you had the combination in midfield, the two-man combination of Matthias Cleek and um, Calvin Phillips at the start of the game, and at halftime, Cleek, who'd not played well, and, and nobody really had, but Cleek, not had a good game, was replaced. Robin Koch comes on instead. So what you have is a player who's not really a four, but is playing as a kind of four, being replaced by another player who's not really a four, but is kind of playing as a four. And then up front, you've got Dan James, who both Bielsa and now Marsh have said quite honestly, you know, that's not where he wants to play. You know, Marsh said today, I've spoken to him and he said, it's not my preferred position. I don't think it's my best position. Marsh's argument is that actually the pressing and the, the kind of hassling that James does is quite advantageous for Leeds because of the way it disrupts the opposition. But I don't think in an attacking sense, it's working with him as a nine at all. And I think one of the lessons that's going to have to come out of this season is that square pegs, round holes, it is problematic and it, it does it does catch up with you at certain points and you do need a centre-forward, you know, give or take, something that resembles a centre-forward as your, your nine. You need players who are kind of specialist defensive midfielders to play in those holding rows. You know, I think Forshaw can do it. It goes without saying that Phillips can do it. Although with Phillips, I think there is going to have to be some adaptation of what he does because it is a different role now to, to what he had under Bielsa. But no, I, I, I'm i not convinced by by James up front. And, and I also kind of feel that that's only my view but if you have a player with his height and his stature in that role you, you're almost looking for them to play as more of a false nine than anything so dropping deep and, and linking up with the, with the players behind them whereas on Monday it felt like the, the, the only out ball was kind of ball over the top looking for him to chase it with his pace and he is very quick and he can beat defenders to the ball but if you're a, a Premier League defender and you're not wise to that, then you haven't really done your homework. I mean, you must know that with James, you you need to give yourself space. You need to give yourself a bit of a head start. You need to look for that over the top. And it can't be said that it really caused Palace any bother at all. On Forshaw then, out for the season. Yes. Um, not good. No, I mean, that was clear before the Palace game with his, his fractured kneecap. It's a shame to lose him anyway, because I do think he's been good since he's come back. And I do think he's good in possession. I think he's a, a really steady presence. 
I would have liked very much to have seen what the combination of him and Phillips in front of the defence was. I mean, Leeds are not looking untight at the moment, but I think with those two together, they would have looked better again. And I think it does leave Marsh in the, the position where, with the exception of Phillips, actually filling that second holding midfield role is slightly difficult because he is asking players to play out of position. I think Cleek is better up the field than he is as a four. I don't think he's ever been a number 10, but he's more of that kind of 8-10 mix that Bielsa loved. Koch, to my mind, is a centre-back. And I know when he was signed, the whole idea was that, yes, he, he is versatile, so he could fill in there. But the emphasis seemed to be on filling in, as in, you know, he can play there, but really he's a he's a centre-back and he's a, a Germany international. So it doesn't make it easy to... It, it doesn't make it easy to get a settled team and a balanced team, definitely not. And also out for the season, then, um, Crescenzio Somerville, uh, we found that out today Today at the presser. Yeah, twisted his ankle. I mean, the end of the season's coming so rapidly now, we've got less than a month to go, that at this stage, any even a fairly minor injury will, will pretty much do for you um, for the games that are left. Uh, Roberts won't be fit before the season ends. They are still hopeful that Bamford will get a couple of games in if he needs to, potentially the last two and should be out training out on the grass next week. I think with Somerville, handy player to have on the bench, not the sort of thing that's necessarily going to decide the way this season goes, but I think with somebody like Forshaw, it's a, it's a much bigger much bigger kick in the teeth. Are they overtrained, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> too, is, much, too much rest. Too much you're, rest you're a hostage to fortune with this, aren't you? That, um, that as, soon as, um, as soon as the narrative starts saying that they were overtrained and hence the injuries, the, the, the injuries keep coming and, and everything swings back and forward. I think you'll you'll get a much better judgment on on the injury situation next season when you see whether it's affecting them in in the same way. And, and it was a similar way today. Marsh was talking about the long throws that we we're seeing from Rafinha at Crystal Palace. You know, which is a, I mean, to put it mildly, a, a break from uh, Rafinha's usual tradition of just tearing it up up and down the wing. I think there was that fear of, it's, you know, it's, as someone put it to me on Twitter, it sounds like Pulis ball. But I think before you sort of panic about that, you wait and see how it pans out over the longer term, don't you? Let's talk about Rafinha quickly because he was completely ineffectual at Crystal Palace. And, you know, every player has quiet games where they can't get into it for whatever reason. Does this system suit him being tucked inside and Marsh is talking about tucking him inside even more? I mean, we may only see him for five more games, to be perfectly honest, but what do we do with Rafinha between now and the end of the season? I sort of feel like... The thing that worked for him so well in Bielsa's system was the width and the constant width that was in the team. And not only the fact that Leeds positioned themselves wide, but that they were able to open up big gaps of space on the flanks, which he just attacked with abandon. And that was him. You know, he loved having, and, and does love, having acres to, to run into and, and basically asking fullbacks whether they can keep up with him, whether they can face him down one-on-one. And the ability to skin people in the way that he did um, Cahill at Ellen Road, and he did a bit of that with Joe Ward in the first half at, at Sellers Park. The narrow system, I can't... I mean, he does that for Brazil as well, you know, with... And, and the narrow system, I struggle to see how it's going to work as well for him. And it feels a little bit like if he is going to be narrow, you'd almost be better having him at 10 um, and saying to him, look, just absolutely use your skill and your touch and your ability to, to pull the strings here. But in saying that, that still feels like taking him out of his natural role, which is which is out wide. I think there's an awful lot to settle down with this team. And, and just to go back to that comment from Mars saying, you know, he's prioritising results at the moment. I don't think that can be a source of criticism if the results keep coming because it, it will keep Leeds up. The end always justifies the means. Definitely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. people people at Leeds will say, you know, the, the way in which he sees the second part of this process is getting a transfer window, getting a pre-season, letting the style that he, that he wants kick in next season and, he, and he's going to have to be given that time 
I'm a bit surprised he's not tried Rafinha and Harrison in the central role at some point because given Dan James has been up there and struggling and isn't particularly, like you say, when he has to drop deep, he's not someone who are considered to be much good with his back to goal. You want him running in behind. Even within a game to just give Harrison a 20-minute stint there or Rafinha or move one of them central and just try and mix it up a little bit when it's not working. I'm kind of surprised we've not seen that. It's a fair point, that. And, you know, when James came in and there was this discussion about how do you accommodate, you know, Rafinha, Harrison, James, Bamford, potentially Rodrigo as well, in what were two wide positions, centre-forward position, and then a kind of 10 as, as Bielsa sometimes played. We all wondered whether at some stage Rafinha might end up playing centrally. You know, you'd have Harrison on one wing, James on the other, Bamford up front, um, Rafinha tucked in behind and they did think about it under Bielsa and they did do some work on it but it never really came to that and obviously there are a lot of injuries so it, it wasn't as if he was free to pick from whoever was was in the squad but I know what you mean and again you can't help but watch Leeds and think they're a team who needs a centre forward a team who that are missing a centre forward and, and I'll be really interested to see what Marsh does this weekend the sort of vibe I was getting from him at the press conference today was that it probably will be Dan James again but at the moment, they just don't really look like a team who've got, you know, a bag full of goals in them. Calvin Phillips, lovely to see him back against Crystal Palace. How do you think he got on on Monday night? Tough game for him, I thought. Uh, I think he's done pretty well when he's come in as a substitute previously. Just kind of tightened things up in the Watford game and, and again in the, the Southampton game. He had to start on Monday, particularly with four shot out. And it's probably only fair to say that he's been missing for such a long time that that kind of inherent match sharpness and conditioning is, is going to take time to build up and he's probably going to end up feeling like he's got it just at the point where the, the season ends. But I said in part one about the way in which the style of the team and the structure of the team has, has changed and the fact that he'll probably need to adapt to that. Watching him on Monday, it did make me think that the sort of transition he's going to have to go through because with Bielsa, with Phillips, he was always, always the, the kind of solitary target in front of the back four when, when they played out. And okay, you know, they would go for diagonals and, you know, Melee would look for the fullbacks and everything else. But it was Phillips who tended to do, drop deep and, and to get the link-up play going to, to start attacks and everything else. And because of the space in front of him and the width in front of him, he was quite free to look for, you know, ping passes over long distances. Again, usually out wide, but, you know, to take the time to kind of pull the strings in that way. And it was quite apparent at Selhurst Park that that game, you know, to isolate, it wasn't like that at all. It just didn't give him time on the ball. It didn't give him much to aim for further up the pitch. I mean, Marsh said today nobody played well in that game. And I think that's probably pretty fair to say, um, with the exception of Ilan Melli, certainly nobody outfield had an outstanding game. But it, I don't think it was easy for him on Monday, and it certainly didn't happen, but I don't think it was easy for him to have that kind of, kind of dynamic and dominant effect that he has had so often when he's come back from injury that the thing that always amazed me about Phillips was that you would see with Bielsa if you had a player like Rodrigo coming back after a period out it was like a kind of slow taper you know it was a slow climb to get him fit again whereas with Phillips once he was fit he was fit and he was he was back in the team and, and he could almost switch it on you know click the fingers it was far more difficult for him on on Monday, but he is somebody who they, they they need to have a big run during this last run of games. It seems with the change in style, he's gone from being in the, the kind of the emptiest part of the pitch to being in, suddenly in the most crowded bit of it. And his game used to be picking up. He'd be kind of the only one in there and he would be able to get it. And then, as you say, look for those diagonal balls. Now there's tons of people in there and there's no one out wide for him <laughs> that, to pass to. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And, and there are reasons for that. You know, one being that Bielsa 
Bielsa was fixed on possession. Possession was a massive deal to Bielsa and he wanted to dominate it. And because, especially in the championship, because they did dominate possession, if you thought back to the promotion season and the, the year before, but particularly the promotion season, you would be able to think of games where Phillips just basically patrolled the space outside the opposition box because the opposition would sit so deep and would struggle to compete for, for the ball with leads that he was able, he was there just to quarterback the whole thing. And teams tended to stand off Bielsa's a little bit more, certainly to, to begin with. And there was always much more space to play in. It was dead congested on Monday. And, and again, at Watford as well, I thought the same. It wasn't a situation where he was ever really going to be able to get his foot on the ball with a lot of time to play. And you felt as if you were leaning more on his defensive ability than you were on what is pretty pronounced skill, I think, of, of passing and you know keeping the team ticking. Now he doesn't suit the system. Should we sell him then? <laughs> no. no. We've sold, no. Rafi- we sold Rafinha and Phillips in the last 25 minutes. Actually, this all leads back to a question we tackled on one of our uh, our members' shows this week. We were sent a question basically asking, does it feel to you like Marsh's system meshes in or meshes closely towards what Bielsa's was? Because we're, we're seeing some real pointed differences here and the stuff that we're discussing there about the middle of the pitch being congested and like Marsh doesn't place the same weight of importance on possession as Bielsa did, for example. I know what you're saying. I'm seeing the same as you. Well, the, the question Phil the, was going to be was, is it a natural evolution as the club sold it to us? I do wonder about that. I think I'll be far better placed to give you an answer about that, assuming Leeds don't get relegated, in the early stages of next season, because there will no longer be the argument of they need to recruit, they, they haven't had a a transfer window that they badly need, there'll no longer be the argument that there hasn't been pre-season and there hasn't been a, a stretch of time to work on the team. So you will get a much clearer picture of what a Jesse Marsh team is. You know, if you take him at his word today and him saying that essentially he's prioritising results over, you know, a, a complete overhaul or a complete change or a, I suppose a complete devotion to what he wants the team to, to ultimately do, then it might well be that with a bit of freedom and a bit less pressure to turn out results in the way that they're having to at the moment gives you a bit more of a mirror image between Marsh and, and Bielsa. But I actually don't think, you know, there, there, there is the, Marsh is big on turnover ball and transitional play in the way that, that Bielsa was. But I don't, and, and also covering distance, you know, is, is important to him. But I don't actually think there's a, a hugely obvious comparison between the two of them. I mean, the, the prime aspect of this being the fact that the further you get up, there towards the front of Leeds team, the narrower they become. Whereas with Bielsa, there was a period, particularly in season one, where Harrison just seemed to stick to the left wing permanently. You know, it was far more mobile on the right and deliberately so because he had Hernandez there who used to roam all over the place and, and just murder teams in, in the way that he loved to. So on the right, you could find that, that Leeds were quite inverted. But on the left, Harrison was just a, you know, he was just a wide player. He, he stuck out wide and, and that's what he, what he did. So whether or not it's going to be, I, I think when the club talk about, you know, kind of natural transition, I think they are talking quite a lot about the fact that Marsh likes his teams to be energetic and to run and, and to move. And, you know, it's similar to the way that Bielsa needed a lot of energy in his performances as well. But I do, it, my first impression of them is that they are very, very different coaches. Because what I'm leading towards is saying that, like, the concern I have, which I, I've parked this because, as everybody is saying, right now it's about results yeah. and we can get to the summer, hopefully still in the Premier League, we can all breathe, take stock, and then, you know, go to the transfer market, pre-season training, as you were saying, all that sort of stuff. My concern is, Monday night, when we picked up the ball, we didn't look like we had a clue what to do with it. And I 
fear that that's what's going to happen next season. Well, it could happen next season, but as I say, it's a little bit difficult to second guess at the moment, minus what's going to go on over the summer. I do sympathise with the situation that Marsh has inherited because it was tough. You know, tough in a lot of respects. Tough to replace the coach he was replacing. Tough to pick up a team who were in the form that they were in. And tough to have the amount of time to make good this season that they've had. It wasn't as if it was... I should say me too as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 and I know, and you say this privately as well, but it wasn't as if they had three games to save themselves. They did have a stretch of fixtures of that, there's no doubt. And I think that's exactly why Leeds timed it when they did, because, you know, you were saying, look, reasonably and and realistically, this should be enough time for new ideas to filter through, for changes to take hold and, and everything else. It's not an easy job, this. I don't think the more and more I see of this team and this squad, the more unbalanced I think it is and and the more I think it's lacking in the way that it needs to be to have a a steady or strong or successful Premier League season. I I think it was there last year, it isn't this year. And and I don't, you know, minus some concerted work to it, Mm. I don't see that returning over the summer. I think everybody has to be honest about what's gone on. And everybody has to be honest about the need for a bit of a change and a bit of a reset and and a bit of a refresh. I can't argue with you about the Palace game and your perception of Leeds on the ball. I felt the same. You know, I thought the question asked afterwards, you know, what was the attacking plan was a good one because I, I wasn't clear on that myself. I couldn't see really how it was that Leeds intended to hurt Palace. But I think that I think the two things that, that play here you know firstly whatever the plan was didn't really pay off assuming that Leeds weren't trying to be you know hugely negative and just sitting for for a point but also I think we're we're at that sort of juncture where quite often that stuff just doesn't happen because you know the pressure's on time's short results are, are paramount and there is no kind of freedom to play so you would like to think that over a, a more concerted period of time those things will resolve themselves. I think some of the stuff we've seen with Marsh is expected like the amount of percentage balls that we play and I can I can kind of accept that we're losing possession in those the concerning bits for me are more when we actually get it forward and we try to play and it feels like there's just no anticipation of where passes are going to go and where where teammates are going to be under the best of Bielsa it seemed almost telepathic that someone would run up, would run up the inside and collect it and then there'd be someone down the other side and we've not seen that at all have we it seems like they look, they look like strangers which is bizarre really given that this team has actually stayed very consistent for a few years a lot of things I could say about that. The first is that Bielsa was and is an absolutely outstanding coach. And I don't think you could ever underestimate the quality of that change in his first summer. To be able to create that team in such a short period of time was was amazing. I'm not sure how easy it would have been for him to have created a team like that had it, the roles been reversed and, and he picked up leads in late February with them on a, a really bad run and low on confidence and, and everything else. But... It is a fact for Marsh, and, and it is, I think, a, quite a weight to bear that he is following some of these. Football was absolutely electric. And, and yes, the football was not as good this season, and you, you can't hide from that or deny it. But you are trying to match up to somebody who pleased a lot of people and delighted a lot of people. And that I think that probably makes the, the comparisons harsher, and it, it probably means that the judgment on, on Marsh is going to be quicker and, and harsher as well. As I say, it, it wouldn't be the first time that you've seen a team look very ordinary and bang average at a point in the season where they're massively under pressure only for things to change as they go further down the line and, and recruitment alters the squad and you know time gives a coach a, a bit of a bit of a well a, a better chance I suppose to to rejig everything which is definitely what he needs and, and there's no denying that, that that rebuild has to happen doesn't it there's no two ways about it and 
what I think what I want to see personally when we go back, we go back to Calvin Phillips is someone alongside him of that ilk who can do some of the heavy lifting for him because I, I see Calvin Phillips in that side and as soon as I know he's on the team sheet now I relax a little bit because I feel like midfield's going to be okay when he's there and given that we're going to play this formation with two holding players they need to get this right for me like I know Marsh refers to them as number sixes doesn't he rather than number four so if we're going in to get another number six I really feel like they've got to get that right on top of multiple other things as well as a centre forward some number tens maybe some fullbacks yeah definitely I mean one player who was um, mentioned to me a few weeks back was James Garner at Manchester United who's on loan at Nottingham Forest I don't honestly know if Leeds will go for him but somebody who, who's certainly been been mentioned in those circles can I just say by the way yes you this can is, this is exactly what happened with Eric Cantona and Dennis Irwin like we phoned up to ask for Dennis Irwin and then uh, Ferguson at the other end said no but can we have Cantona so let's just make sure that, that sensible phone calls happen if we go in for Garner we do not Garner, and- Garner plus plus a million pounds for Calvin Phillips <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. to continue, Phil. Let's let's just register that you've planted that seed rather than, than <laughs> me as well. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that the midfield does need to be right. I think Palace, and we may have said this in the preview, Palace have probably benefited from the fact that a lot of people thought they might be in trouble this season and might go down, and they haven't gone down, and they've, they've pretty comfortably stayed out of bother. Sphere's first season, and it, he'll be pretty happy with it. It's, it's been decent. I don't think they're an especially outstanding team, although there are definitely players in their side that I do really like, and I've got got to say that. And my observation of them is that they pretty much have round pegs and round holes all over the pitch, and I do think that makes a difference to their continuity. I think Bielsa was pretty exceptional and rare in being able to being able to cope with any sort of over a long period, being able to cope with any sort of crisis of selection. Or anything else, being able to say to players, I need you to do this and them just doing it, you know. Or as we call the, it, the Stuart Dallas. The, the Stuart Dallas, or, you know, I always think of him just playing Will Huffer. The club saying to him, we're getting an emergency keeper and him going, no, I'll just play as keeper. He's never played before. It's fine. Don't worry, he trains with us. He knows what's going on. It's no bother. Go away, leave me alone. I don't, you know, I don't want this spare from Sheffield Wednesday. And, you know, that's how it was. But it's not an easy thing to do that. And and if, you, if you're not good at that or if, if you get found out doing it, then it does leave you in, in fairly fairly dire straits or in, in problemat- problematic circumstances. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there is something to be learned from Palace that, you know, they've they've bought Eze and he plays where he plays and, you know, they've got Zahai, he plays out wide. They've got um, uh, Mateta up front who missed chance after chance on Monday, but when he came off, there was Benteke there. I don't want Leeds necessarily to go down the role of, you know, totally conventional players in one position and all this, that and the other. I do like the idea of versatility and I do like a bit of rotation, but I just think it's maybe been pushed a little bit too far this time and that there are probably too many positions on the pitch where the players play in there, you wouldn't say that's where they're best. Just on Garner then, is he is he a deep line midfielder then? Um, he is, yeah, he, or he, he can be, you know, that in that sort of mould of, of a six um, and has been really good at Forest. I mean, they're having, they are having one hell of a season, Forest, and I, you know, one of those clubs who had they made a managerial change earlier, I think would be top two at the moment and coming up, they might finish top two anyway. But he's well thought of over there and he'll have, I, I think Manchester United like the idea of keeping him, um, but I think when it comes to loan options, he might have a few. Why don't we put him alongside Calvin Phillips instead of them? Because he's gonna, he's obviously going to stay as Calvin, isn't he? Phil? Well, the, Tell me, the, Phil. The, the whole, the because whole, the article this week on the... On the, the let, let, me, let me just... Yeah, let me go, just on, go on, go on. Caption at the top. Calvin Phillips to Manchester United. Could it ever happen? That's the question you... you, that you have you asked this question? 
The Athletic asked this question. Okay. I've contributed to the to the answer. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, our, um, our Manchester United lads have been wanting to write about Phillips, and and it should should be written about because there is a lot of noise in Manchester about this, and it does seem that the prevailing view seems to be that Manchester United might well bid for him this summer. It should be said that Manchester United's recruitment is not at the forefront of recruitment in the worldwide. You know, they they are kind of behind the times in, in a lot of respects. You never quite tell what they're going to do next or whether they'll have, you know, prepared anything in a way which is likely to succeed. But my view on Phillips, and I know people will point to Alan Smith, but my view on Phillips is that you speak to people around here who either know him or kind of know how the land lies. And, and they all say the same thing, which is no chance. Because he's a Leeds fan. He was a Leeds fan growing up. He's an inner city boy. He still lives here. His family live here. They're all Leeds fans. The connections are really, really tight. He is an extremely loyal guy. And he will know that the poison that lies over from the Smith deal is still there. And he will know that if you go, there are people that would just simply never accept the fact that it's that it's happened. As part of that article, I was looking back at the quotes from Bielsa from September, October time, where you know the, the link to Manchester United first came up. Bielsa was asked about it and he said, the thing I, and I always felt with Bielsa that he knew Phillips. He understood Phillips well. He seemed to have a real soft spot for Phillips. I think he'd, he really did understand the way that he thinks and the way that he that he works. And he said, when Phillips leaves, and one day he will, you know, Bielsa's quite honest in saying, you know, player this good, one day he, he probably will go. He'll do it in a way which doesn't burn his bridges. I and mean, that wasn't the phrase Bielsa used, but, you know, he said something like he, he will leave in a way that makes him a, an icon forever, you know, around here. And, you know, I think the, the idea being that when Phillips leaves, he'll be able to come back in a way where people are happy to welcome him and see him at Ellen Road rather than having to sneak in the back door or keep his head down in the way that Alan Smith did from time to time when, when he did reappear. And I mean, when we we wrote about Smith um, and the move to Man United and I spoke to a couple of his school friends who said that Smith, in actual fact, was a Liverpool fan growing up. That was their recollection. So, the, you know, the kind of tie there wasn't quite as tight as it would be with, with Phillips. Liverpool fans famously love Man United. Well, don't they just, yeah. But also, Smith was just incredibly hard-nosed you know I, I spoke to his agent for that piece and his agent said look it wasn't a case of he had to go to Man United but he wanted to go to a Champions League club and that was the offer on the table and they said quite openly you know the idea that he was forced to go wasn't the case you right. know he, he, he it wasn't that he was going around saying the only club I will join is Man United you know from the start he said there was talk of you know Liverpool coming in for him and, and everything else but he had to be sold. Man United was the, the Champions League option. So Smith said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I, I would be really surprised if it happened with Phillips. I think from Leeds' perspective as well, they'd have to think very long and hard about whether they want to get into a scenario where the best player, give or take, ends up going there. Because even if you were to say, look, his decision and players got to, to do what's right for him, doesn't look good, does it? So I, I can't see. What the player gets out of it isn't the same either, because in the, in the days of Smith and Ferdinand going there, you were basically guaranteeing yourself a trophy a season, weren't you? And probably a Premier League trophy every every couple of years. Whereas now, it you're, feels, you're up a league next year. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the conference a league. Conference, is, yeah. Come is, on, it's probably not top of anyone's priority list. And essentially, you could get more money there. That bit's probably there's probably no doubt in that. Whether or not he actually has a better time and plays better football there is is very much in doubt. Yeah, and that's the other side to it. I think if you'll have seen that. Fernandinho and, and and Manchester City is coming to an end after a, a long, long time and, and a lot of success. I think if they were after a centre mid and they decided that Phillips was the one and they bid and they bid enough money and 
Phillips decided to go. I think however loyal or devoted a lead supporter you are, you would look at that and understand it. You know, I think you would say, well, there does come a point or there does come an offer at which you have to say, yes, you know, for everybody's circumstances. But this one, Manchester United, as much as uh, Manchester United guys do think more and more that a bid might be incoming, it just doesn't make sense to me. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Saturday evening, 5.30. The best football team in the world against the best football club in the world. God bless Jesse, the, the silver-tongued lizard. Yes. Um, this, I don't know. I think you may get an argument in Liverpool about that at the moment. Mm. Um, hitting for the quadruple. It's funny. Every game recently, you know, a little prior to Bielsa going and certainly since Bielsa going, has felt intensely stressful. And I almost feel a little bit tranquil about this one because (laughs) you feel a little bit like you know what might be coming. And the worst that can happen is that what you sort of expect is is what materialises. The best that can happen is that you get a a nice surprise along the lines of what went on at at the Etihad last season. And, you know, having said that this is a season that isn't going to let us love it, you just keep hoping that there is one of those games in there that can at least, you know, Wolves was great Norwich was great but it was just absolute carnage you know against teams who are pretty beatable if truth be told I know we also had a good season but City that sort of game is completely different That that's where you're just looking for a little bit of magic the blueprint is there for the win if only the manager had watched it <laughs> <laughs> what, what I think about this though you know this is in terms of the fixtures that are left this one and the two that follow it as well actually are the biggest opportunity for Jesse Marsh to gain kudos I think among the Leeds yeah. fan base because we're seeing this debate ongoing that we touched on in the last couple of weeks of the pragmatism and picking up the points versus the attraction of watching Bielsa's football if we get something out of these games huge huge tick in the box yeah. next to Jesse Marsh's name I agree with that just to, to reference what Michael was saying there we, we asked Marsh or somebody asked Marsh at the presser today about the win at the Etihad last season which he hadn't watched um, and he didn't realise that it was 10 v 11 in Man City's favour rather than, than Leeds I was kind of surprised by that I assumed that that he, he would have watched that although I guess more time's probably been given to analysing City from, from this season and I suppose if you think back to that game how much could you actually glean from it given that if you're at home and it's 11 v 11 you couldn't really play like that it was totally legitimate and actually it was it was tactically brilliant from Bielsa to do that with 10 men because you were on for an absolute hide in the way City play. So all you could do was be as compact as possible and, and to, to do your best to stop them scoring. And, and you know, Leeds, Leeds kind of played that second half perfectly. But even against City, there's absolutely no way at Ellen Road you could pack in like that and, and use exactly the same tactics. So it needs to be different. Do you think? But, Are we not going to see that on Saturday? Well, if you remember the game at the Etihad, Leeds barely crossed the halfway line in the second half. Now, again, again, don't you expect that on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, but will will the crowd tolerate that? If if it's a deliberate tactical ploy at the Etihad, you were sitting going, "This makes total sense because you've got ten players." Do you think Marsh cares enough about that? I think if the game, uh, I think if the game is is level, I think people probably will accept. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, completely. 
Because, I mean, it's not nice to look at, but if we do I, enough to hold them at bay... Like, yeah, you know. yeah, no, I, I'm not talking about not being defensive. I think Leeds have to be cautious. I did ask him, I did say, you know, you, you can take a beating by attacking them, you can take a beating by sitting back in the way that Watford sort of tried to um, at the Etihad and it, it didn't work at all. I think what you have to see alongside it when it's 11 v 11 is some punches being thrown in return. It came against um, City late on, but quite honestly, if Leeds had come out of that with a one all draw, you'd have been... Full of praise for for them and Bielsa anyway. You know, the first port, port of call on on Saturday is going to be to have perfect and an excellent defensive shape. You know that is where it needs to needs to start. But they do need to compete, and I never kind of feel that against City you can be totally totally negative and defensive for ninety minutes. It's very very unlikely to work. But you do need to you do need to commit like that for a lot of the game. But you do at times need to play. I mean, think back to the home game last season. It was not eleven men behind the ball. It was no, no, punched. but that was Bielsa was in charge. Of course, it was. But, but, I, I, but I think I think Marsh is, from what we've seen so far, far more pragmatic. I think when he said in the wake of the Palace game that they were going to go for it against Man City, I don't necessarily believe him. I think there's a bit of kidology going on there. I suspect it'll be a lot of people sat very, very deep and compact, and uh, balls over the top to James again. I, I think we'll see I, a lot of I, a lot of similar football that we saw that we saw at Sellers Park. I totally agree with that, but I don't. What the, my point about the Etihad game is that I don't think you can be as defensive as Leeds were in that because you're not even making an effort to kind of throw any punches back. I think they'll have to be they'll have to be deep. They'll have to concede a lot of the ball. They'll have to soak up an, an awful lot of pressure. But you know as well as I do that the crowd will expect at some point for Leeds to have a little bit of a pop. I don't think um, in this. I don't think in this game they will. I think everybody looks at this game as what as almost as a write off already. I really do. I, I think nobody goes into this game with any particular level of expectation of, of getting anything. So I think they'll be more tolerant of just sitting deep and soaking it up. Yeah, I think if we go a goal down, obviously people will not tolerate because yeah. what is the point? Yeah, but yeah, I think. Um, yeah, you might be right. Nil nil. I think, nil, I think nil, at nil nil, people will think obviously it'll be a, it'll be absolutely awful to watch, and there'll be many many moments where they almost score, um, and they may well do after a, a couple of minutes. You don't mm-hmm. know, dear. But if we can keep it tight, if it's if it's if it sort of parallels the Liverpool Everton game where Everton went into it to completely spoil from the from the kickoff, but they did still manage to get a couple of half chances in there. I think actually people would probably accept it <laughs> and, as horrendously ugly as it was. And more to the point, when we had discussions around Bielsa's final games, people were saying something needs to change. We need to be more pragmatic. We can't go out and attack against that these teams. That was the word they used today, but he did say pragmatic and aggressive. And yeah. I think that's the, the so thing we'll, that has to we'll be sit, some... We'll sit deep and kick them. And um, go in two-footed. I think basically there needs to be some element in the game of you being a little ambitious in the right moments I, mm. I think that's the the balance to strike you couldn't ask that of Leeds at the Etihad even though they won the game late on and it was a, a cracking goal from Dallas the winner you couldn't sit watching that saying oh they're not even having a go here you know because it was 11 on 10 it, it was just massive massive pressure that they had to to soak up they're going to come under it big time on on Saturday and, and quite honestly I don't expect them to get anything from the game as I say it was Bielsa's team, so it was different. But if I think back to that game between them last season, there was the, the early part where it looked like City were going to murder Leeds and, and were all over them and there was a real problem in midfield. But once the balance changed and, and once Leeds started putting it on them a bit, it took the, the late introduction of Fernandinho to make sure that, that City went away with a point. I don't really see it panning out like that this time. But I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that in amongst defending like hell, you do have to make a game of it if you know what I mean mm. do you think we'll be getting click or cock from the start mm. 
good question. I suspect Robin Koch, mm. I think, on the basis of that sub on Monday night. But I still kind of feel like the answer to that would be Forshaw. If Forshaw was the answer that he's, they could they could give. Phil, he's broken. He, he's not he's not here, is he? Um so yeah, I think I think probably Koch. I think as much as anything, because there's gonna have to be a, a lot of defensive work done, I think Marsh will hedge his bets in thinking that Koch will do more of that than click. And I, and I, and for what it's worth I agree. Do we just um keep our attention away from what's happening elsewhere at the weekend? Obviously we'll be very much keeping tabs on it, but we've got Burnley travelling to Watford. Um, and Everton at home to Chelsea yeah given what might happen at Ellen Road this does actually feel like one of these weekends where you're as focused on what's going on elsewhere as as you are on, on the game itself but my god like would, would you a surprise and would you a weekend of euphoria why can't this be it <laughs> weirdly it feels like if, if- both Burnley and Everton managed to lose. Even if we lost eight 0 it'd feel like <laughs> yeah. it'd feel like an oddly good weekend. Well, it's as we were saying, like we've been chalking off the weeks, haven't we? Prior to this, like saying it's okay. Well, we're a point better off than we were against those teams, or we've done the same results in the same weekend, so it's another game chalked off. Yeah, I think that feels like probably the best case scenario is we don't lose any any ground. But you never know. There, there is maybe, maybe there's a miracle, Phil. I think that was a good point you made about Marsh, though. That these are opportunities to look good against considerably better teams than Leeds have played so far, particularly on Saturday. And and you'd like to think that 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 will happen. As I say, the, the games are not necessarily straightforward to the teams Leeds are playing because there's so much going on round about. And I can't help feeling that City must be feeling a bit of stress from what's going on at Liverpool. You know that like you. Four goals against Real Madrid, but you end up with a one-goal lead. Liverpool do Villarreal 2-0 and look like they're pretty much there already and just don't look like they're they're going to stumble. And as I say, I, I feel a little bit like something is going to happen on the running for the two at the top. I, I feel like it could this could well be Liverpool's year in, in every sense. Um, I feel it's interesting because Newcastle play Liverpool lunchtime on Saturday ahead of our game, so they'll know exactly what situation they're in. Will it then inform their their team selection and what eye will they have on Real Madrid? Different world, isn't it? I mean, we should we should play this we should play this back next week as we're reflecting on a club record defeat or something <laughs> like that. You know, yeah, Nostradamus, all of us. Um, but it, yeah, I, I think I'm just trying to find little things that well, to hold on to. You've yeah. got to play on tension, haven't you, as best you can. And there will surely come a game for City in the five that they've got left, where even if they win it. It's difficult for them and it's a slog and it's it's nervous because it isn't quite happening and they're, they're desperate for a goal which isn't coming. And you, you feel as if somebody at some stage will, will get into a game like that against them. Whether it'll be on Saturday, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't. I just don't feel this season like Leeds are equipped at all to, um, to beat teams like that. And, you know, looking at the results against the, the top six as it stands, it's completely blank. Yeah, my head's gone anyway and I predicted a Leeds winning this one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would as I was driving in. Yeah. I was thinking, he's going to do it again, isn't he? No, he's I mean, I'll, do it again. The, the truth of the matter is, and I did all this over on our shows, but so you can go listen to those if you want to do, but um, yeah, I mean, I know we're going to lose, but let's go for a Leeds win. Let's do it. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, why not? Because why not? It, it's easier to be in denial than to constantly be swimming in the waters of stress and anxiety. It's horrible. This season's been horrible and I've just... I've more than had my fill of it now. So now you're just denying reality. <laughs> yeah. As an option. Okay. That's fine. It's one way to deal it's with it. It's fine. We'll win 7-0. It's a good it's a coping mechanism. Whether whether it's sensible or not is a different matter. We'll win 7-0 and the lottery. Well, Marsh Marsh was head coach uh, with Leipzig when they played at City in September in the Champions League. I've written about that. It should be online this morning if you're you're listening Friday. And it was quite obvious some of what went wrong over there. He said today he was asked about it. He said, you know, the mistakes we made over there were kind of 
kind of ludicrous. Too narrow, and the, giving the ball it, away. Too narrow was the thing. They City are great at filling all the lanes on the pitch, and they they stretch teams. They use every inch of grass, and they, they kind of played it perfectly. I mean, they, they conceded three goals, so it wasn't like it's was perfect performance for them at all. But they were really good at piling bodies and attention over to the right hand side, while other players, particularly Grealish floated in on the left completely unmarked swing the ball across and suddenly there's a problem so you know the Leipzig concede a corner and then and City score from the corner for the first and then they head in their own goal because um, again there's unmarked player at the back post which is Grealish and then the penalty they concede in the first half same thing again so I think there are some definite pointers about what they have to avoid this weekend but some, I mean the reality with City is sometimes they are just too good and the golf is just too wide uh, It was funny Seeing Marsh say in the in the press about I'm, I'm probably not going to put Furpo back in for this one, <laughs> maybe a bit a bit too soon for him this one. Yeah, yeah, possibly. This is this is like the Etihad. This is one for Dallas, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You would. You just. You'd just hold your leg a little bit in training, wouldn't you? If the, if you were being considered for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it'll be Full Metal Jacket for City because they had a really difficult game in midweek, and you know everything kind of. Ha- it's not a case of everything has to be focused on the Champions League. But there are games in the Premier League that they can afford to make changes for and, and afford to rotate for and, and still win, whereas it's at the point now in the Champions League where it's the Bernabeu next and then it'll be probably Liverpool in the final. You know, it needs to be 100% strongest side for, for both of them. I think Grealish nice, was... Nice an, problems to have. I'm just uh, very yeah. nice. So Grealish was an unused sub against Real Madrid. I think he'll almost certainly start at Ellen Road. Always nice to see him. Yeah, no, um, a bit like Zaha, he'll be welcomed with open arms, I'm sure. Um, but they they do have a they do have a ridiculous team, really. Yeah, <laughs> they look like a billion pound team, don't they? They, they do, yeah, yeah. It I mean that that De Bruyne goal at the Etihad was just ludicrous. It was the way he shaped up at the edge of the box, twenty five yards out, and you could see him just think. I might as well just stick this in the top corner. <laughs> yeah. So, so he did because I know that <laughs> you know? I know that I can and nobody's bothering <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. Like, just and he had I'll a goal disallowed like a minute before as well. Or something. Uh, something had uh, happened uh, a minute before, and it was like, fine, I'll just do this instead. Yeah, it was rapidly, rapidly losing count. But yeah, it, it'll be difficult. Well, what do you fancy for the others then? I'm thinking obviously Watford, Burnley, and um, Everton, Chelsea on Sunday. Well, Watford have given up, haven't they? Yeah, but they're overdue a home win, as I was saying this week. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you, you cling to that. I mean, you definitely. So I've got, want, I've got you, Leeds win, uh, Watford, Watford win. win. Chelsea win. What are your combined odds on this? I haven't looked, Philip. No, maybe maybe pretty good. Um, <laughs> but I think you're wanting a Watford win, definitely. It seems to me that the thing that would help Leeds massively is if the screw continues to get turned on Everton. That feels like the club where it could be implosion time. And for as long as Leeds keep out in front and don't let them narrow the gap, it is going to be extremely difficult for them to get themselves out of it. But it has to be said, there, there are games... You know, we, we sort of said with Burnley that there might well be points for them in the Southampton and Wolves game. I didn't really expect it to be six, but, you know, they did get points out of it. I think with Everton, there are similarly, you know, they've got Watford at Goodison. There are games where they probably will get points. So to go back to Leeds tally of 34, I don't think it's enough. I don't know if you do, but I think they need more than that. If we were to come out of it with 38, do you think 38 would be enough? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I still feel like Villa on 37 will be fine, although they've started to make very, very slow progress recently um, and to, to go backwards quite rapidly who, a Villa who faced Burnley twice so we need we need them to get out of it yeah I mean someone said to me at Palace oh they'll not get anything against Villa I mean Christ I think they could win both games it's like Villa, <laughs> Villa have been Villa have been really drifting um, and, and have, have completely lost all direction um, recently they haven't made I mean, 
haven't been going forward in the way that you felt like they were under Gerard. But then in saying that, the squad were good players, so it's you know they could easily beat Burnley twice. It, I think it's just the fact that there aren't that many games for Burnley in particular where you look at them and say, well, they'll get nothing from that because it isn't Burnley against City and it isn't Burnley against Liverpool or Burnley against Chelsea or whoever else. But that said, dropped points against Watford this weekend does potentially make them think twice about what they're doing because no, absolutely. You've, got, you've got Villa at home, Spurs away, tough game. Villa away is going to be a tough one. Newcastle at home ain't going to be easy for them now. And Norwich looked like a banker for them after beating Everton. You yeah. know, you, you assumed they would go there and do something and they didn't. So that would help so significantly. I've, I've, gone from the, I've gone from the denial stage of grief to the bargaining stage. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and soon it'll be, well, yeah, Burnley will probably win and so City, but you know, I'm reserving, brings it <laughs> I'm reserving the anger for the Brentford game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, I've ridiculously gone for Leeds win. What are you going for, gentlemen? <sighs> we're not going to win, are we? Michael thinks we're not going to we'll win. We'll lose. Come mm. on, by two or three at least. Come on, Phil, what are you saying? Do you know what? I'm, on the basis that I think the title race has been too close and too good to not just not just finish with both Liverpool and City winning all the games and City winning the title by a point I think something will go on somewhere so let's assume it's going to go on at Elland Road this so, weekend so and Leeds are going to get a draw from Phil this Phil Hay highly paid journalist for The Athletic thinks something will go on somewhere look I've spent the last 10 minutes telling you that they're going to get beat and they're probably going to get beat quite heavily but as ever you've um, you've taught me it's, to just it's a, bra- you know, it's a brave call Phil if I ever go to the casino with you I'm going to come out absolutely broke just go for it yeah no honestly, honestly yeah, put, yeah, put the house deeds yeah, on red or black fine. Phil it'll be alright it'll be fine look I can't see it but um why not? Yeah, well, well, that's that's exactly actually where I am. I know it's not going to happen, but yeah, I can give you some reasons why not if you want. But no. I think we'll be covering old ground probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Let's just go off and enjoy this weekend as best we can, and come back next week and uh, and talk again. Like you say, at least it's relatively stress free this game. Yeah, yeah. And, until until we're nil nil with sixty minutes gone, and you start thinking, oh, oh hello. <laughs> look, if if the gap's five points by the end of the weekend. Absolutely set up for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's that, that I think is what I'm hoping for this weekend. Yeah. Let's let's hope and pray. Then. Let's yes. hope and pray. Back next week. Then thank you for listening. We'll see you then. The Phil Hay Show.